Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Uh, Before I begin, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 20. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day, and Lord, I do thank you for uh, all the great things that you've done for us. Lord, I want to take a moment and thank you, God, for each person in this room. Lord, I believe that you've brought them here for a reason or for a purpose. God, I pray now that you would uh, just uh, bless me now as I speak uh, your word. Lord, I pray that it would be your truth and not my own. Lord, I pray that it would be uh, not just my, my thoughts or opinions, but God, truly what you would have me to say this morning. Lord, I pray now that you'd fill this room with your spirit. Lord, fill me with your spirit as well. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we go any further, let me ask this question. And uh, for those of you who have been here for a while, you know that I like to ask questions every once in a while, and I, it's an actual question. I'm looking for a response. Now, sometimes when you ask questions like this, you say, oh, what encourages you in crickets chirp? Okay, I understand that happens sometimes, but I'd love to hear maybe some responses this morning. What encourages, what, what sorts of things happen or what kinds of things do people say that you find to be an encouragement? I'm asking this question, though, for a particular reason. Okay? You're going to hear this word encouragement um, show up three times in the passage that we're looking at. Um, and so we're going to jump right in. Acts chapter 20, verses, verse 1. After the uproar ceased, now this is referring back to what Pastor John talked about last week. There was an uproar. Does anybody remember what city the uproar happened in? Anybody here last week remember what city? I'm discouraged. No. Uh, yeah, do you, you remember? It was close, close. Yes. Ephesus is correct, right? It was in the city of Ephesus. There was an uproar, and they had, like, finally it got calmed down. And so this uproar ceased. So this, this is Luke's way of saying, right after that, this is what happened next. Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, so there's your first time that it shows up, after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. Okay, so. Uh, uh, he heads off the uproar in Ephesus. He heads off, heads towards Macedonia. Now, this journey that is, uh, there's going to be several little notes here, okay? So for those of you that like the details mixed in, like reading between the lines, okay? Uh, this journey is referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul actually talks about this. At this time, that's not referred to here. There's actually a dispute that arises in the city of Corinth, where there's some kind of like opposition between Corinth and Paul, Okay? And so right during this time, in fact, we know from other, you know, piecing together other little pieces of information that Paul must have sent Titus on to Corinth ahead of him. He wasn't going to just go back with this big dispute going on. So he sent Titus with a letter, okay? And this letter, Paul refers to as, it ended up being kind of a harsh letter, kind of like put you in your place kind of letter, okay? And uh, he sends Titus on with this letter, um, we actually don't have a copy of this. Uh, we've got First and Second Corinthians. There's another letter between those two to the city of Corinth that we don't have a copy of. Okay, but this letter made it to the city of Corinth. Sends Titus ahead. Um, he's hoping to meet Titus on the journey, and so we get to this next verse, and it says, "When we'd gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece." Okay, so uh, 
We, they go through the next set of regions. And once again, there's, there's several things that probably happened here. So we get like one little statement, he went through those regions. There's actually a whole bunch of stuff that probably happened here. Some other things that happened, uh, he meets Titus. Um, he re- is reunited with Titus along the way. So Titus is coming back. He, re- he reunites with Titus. He, his fears are calm with what's going on at Corinth. He actually writes another letter, the letter of 2 Corinthians, which you have a copy of. And since Titus again back to Corinth, and, and you, when you read 2 Corinthians, you hear Paul talk about that other letter, and I felt bad that I wrote that one at first, but then I was glad because then it kind of turned to your repentance and things got better. And so he sends those letters on with Titus to head, head off again to um, uh, uh, the city of Corinth. Um, at this time, it says he came to Greece. And so the coming to Greece is actually most likely when he actually made it to the city of Corinth. That's kind of what it's referring to. And so you get to the next verse, and it says, there he spent three months. Now, in this three-month time period, we also get the letter to, the, to Romans, right? So when you open up your Bible and you read Romans, right? this was written during this time period. So Paul was in uh, Corinth writing that letter to Rome. Okay, so there he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So instead of setting sail, he decides to go back the other way, the way that he had just come. And there's a, a reason for that that I'm going to get to in just a minute um, when we get to this list of names in verse 4. So now we have in verse 4 this list of names. So Luke is just kind of, the, this, this next few verses is just kind of like a travel log. Okay, like we went here, we did this, we went here. Here's some people with us. So Sopater the Berean, son of uh, uh, Piraeus, accompanied him. Uh, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, uh, Tychicus and Trophimus. Now, we think that these are representatives of different churches he had been to. Okay? Now, I'm going to mention this right here. Uh, there's been several of the letters that Paul's written where he's talking about this gift. So he's been collecting from all these churches this gift that he's going to take back to Jerusalem because the Christians there are undergoing persecution. And so we think that these individuals were people that, as Paul was collecting this gift, I actually thought about this before I got to this verse. I thought, you know, I've wondered before, man, that'd be kind of nerve-wracking to be traveling on foot with a bunch of gifts. I mean, what if somebody hears what you got? You'd be nervous, like, am I going to get robbed on the road? And so we think that these guys went with Paul, not only to be representatives of their churches, so when he got to Jerusalem, they could, they could see what happened. That'd be really neat, wouldn't it? Like to send a gift, like when we send a gift off to our missionaries in Mexico, wouldn't it be neat to send one of us down there with it to just get the reaction firsthand. That's kind of what these people are doing. And so they're going with him, but I think they're also traveling with him for uh, uh, security reasons, okay? We also notice in here, as we get to this this part right here, uh, it shifts back to the we, right? You see that right there? Um, I think that's in the next verse, I'm sorry. Um, You're gonna see the we, but we sailed away from Philippi. Why does it switch back to we at this point? Yeah, Luke, Luke rejoins them at this point, and so we get this we is going on again. All right, so back to the story here. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, probably taking the gift with them. They're waiting for them at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. So uh, we get this we again is going on. The story continues on, and we get to verse seven. On the first day of the week, I'm going to pause here. That, that's actually very significant, what I just read on the first day of the week. 
This is the first mention in the book of Acts in the Bible of Christians getting together like we're doing right now on the first day of the week, Sunday. Here it is. And here we are. 2,000 years later, we're still doing it. It's pretty significant. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, what do you think that's referring to? Anybody have a thought? Gathered together to break bread where they just like had big loaves and they were like cracking them over or something? Communion, yes, communion, right? So here we have this. I mean, we're, we're doing this. Gathering together to break bread. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, I know that you may be thinking to yourself, Matt preaches kind of long sometimes. I don't hold a candle to this particular incident. Okay. Now, what's also interesting about this is that most likely they had been during the work, I mean, they weren't taking Sundays off. That, that came much later as, as Christians got into leadership roles in governments. That's when we started having those Sundays off, right? So in this time period, that Sunday was a work day. So what did they do after the work day was over? What did these Christians do? They said, let's get together. First day of the week, remembering Christ's resurrection from the dead. So Paul... Starting off in the evening, continues on, talking, talking, talking until midnight. And then we're going to get a, a famous little incident comes up next. There were many lamps in the upper room. So picture them. They're actually in a three-story building, which means it's probably a, a poor person's abode. Okay, so they had this, they were up here in this, this taller part. There were many lamps in the upper room. I think Luke, because he's here, he's giving us some important details. Uh, where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, whose name happens to mean lucky, in case you were wondering. A young man named Lucky, sitting, on the win sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, as I see some of you, that happens from time to time, Fortunately, not like lucky, you're not sitting at the edge of a three-story building window. Eutychus, he falls asleep and he falls from the third story and was taken up dead. Um, it doesn't say taken up as dead, which places in Acts say that. This means that he, he, he died. As you can imagine, he probably would, falling from a third-story building. Now, you may be wondering at this point, why does Matt have this smile on his face? It seems like he's treating like this like a funny story. Um, I will get to that um, in the next verse. He says, but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. We don't get all the details about how this happened, but clearly something miraculous just happened. I do find it very interesting, the, the, just the reality of this passage. I mean, Paul who refers to himself not as a very eloquent speaker. These Christians had gotten together and they're listening to him speak and they clearly want to be there, but clearly at the same time, it's going for a long time. And just like us, what happened to Lucky? He got sleepy. Unfortunately, like I said, he was sitting at a window and fell out. Fortunately for most of you, you're sitting in cushioned chairs which I don't know if that makes it better or worse for the sleepiness factor, but here you are. And some of you are probably sleepy. You know why? Who in here leads a busy life? Anybody here lead a busy life? 
Come on, raise your hands. Don't lie to me. Some of you, yeah, I know, busy life. Some of you are like, no, I don't. I'm retired. Uh, but uh, some of you are like, yeah, I'm, I'm busy. And you come to church on Sunday, and I know that some of you come here, and you're like lucky, and you're sitting here like, I'm, I've, came here, I've come for a reason. Matt is talking still longer and longer, and I'm getting sleepy. Okay, I understand. I don't take offense at that. But here we have this amazing, miraculous thing. But listen to what happens next. When Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, so he goes down, heals the kid, goes back, right? Broken bread and eaten. He conversed with them a long while. And it's a little side note. Notice earlier said he was talking. This is switched. This is more of a discussion that's happening now. Okay? So Paul's kind of shift from just talking to them to maybe question answer. What about this? What about this? We had this thing come up. Question, answer. Talks with, with them for a long while until, it says, until daybreak. Keep in mind that many of these people, when this was over, did they go home and go to bed? Maybe a few. But many of them, what did they probably have to do after this? Go back to work. Some serious dedication. I, I want to mention, I actually don't have this in my notes, but it just literally just popped into my head. I can remember as a kid, and uh, I'm bragging my dad for a second here. My dad is a power company guy. He used to get called out, and he would work, I mean, crazy hours. I, I don't know. Like, I always think in my head, like, how many hours he probably worked. But then I ask him about it, and he goes, actually, I worked it. And I'm going, what? You know, I mean, just, long, what, what was some of the longest days you had, Dad? I hate to put you on the spot. But, yeah. So we're talking, at work right? Like those big storms, and you're like, why is my power not on? Get the guys like that, they're out there going, to, they're up on poles like half awake trying to reconnect thousands of volts, okay? So be a little patient. That's a side, that's not important. Um, but, but my dad would do that, and there would be times, I can remember, there'd be times where he'd been at work night all day, and then go through the night, and he would get off work and come home, and I can remember him, if it was Sunday, he didn't go, well, man, I, I've been working on I'm going to go to bed. You know what he did? He said, we're going to church. Now, I don't know if he got anything out of it. <laughs> He's not looking at me. Uh, I remember him coming back afterwards. I remember a couple times in particular, I think my mom has reminded me of this, a couple times in particular, he got home from church and it was basically, fell on, he was just laying on the, on the ground, just out, <laughs> you know. Forget the shower, forget everything. You know, he was gone. Uh, but there, there, there's something to that. There's something to that. What these people are demonstrating, I think, is essential and important. Stay till daybreak. And so departed, and they took the youth away alive, it's mentioned again, and they were not a little comforted. Now, this last word here, comforted, is the same Greek word that's earlier translated encouraged. So this little chunk of story is bookended by encouragement, okay? Encouragement. So let me go back to that word encouragement for a second. The word encouragement that's translated encouragement here and also translated comforted does not just mean the good job, although we love that. It can mean that, but it's more than that. Sometimes this word is translated uh, exhort, 
Now, we don't use that word very often. Admonish, we don't use that word very often. But this is, this is not just saying great job, but it's also saying here's what you ought to do. Here's how you could do this better. Here's how you could improve. It, it, this isn't going quite right. But, but there's always in this exhortation, it's never in a negative sense like, you idiot, what are you doing? It's always in a positive sense of, let, let, me, let me show you a little bit. And you see, this is what Paul does. This is his habit. He's gone through all these churches and then we see him all in this story going back through these churches and you see this, this picture that we get a, an idea of and maybe this happened in several of these cities, but Luke was present for this one. And so Luke's able to tell us some, some details and clearly there was a significant event with Lucky falling from the window. But we have this idea that Paul, as he's going back through encouraging them, there's all different measures of encouragement happening, admonishing, strengthening. Sometimes this word is translated strengthen. This same word, it's paraclete. Sometimes it's translated counsel. And so this is a huge, important, significant aspect. As I was thinking about this, I was actually thinking this last week about this new house. I don't know if you know this, we bought a house in Covington. Now, I'm just going to tell you a little bit of insight. I'm putting my brother-in-law, Bill, on the spot. Um, I'll talk about him. He's going to do the same thing my dad did and not pay attention to me, but that's okay. Uh, so, so here's the thing. Um, when it comes to fixing stuff, I, I can fix my car if my dad tells me what's wrong. In the house, uh, if I see a wall that needs to be a different color, I'm like, get some paint. Let's paint this thing. You know, I can be a pretty careful painter when I'm trying, although if you saw my sweatshirt from the other day, you could tell that I'm not always that careful. There's spots all over it. But I've learned some stuff this week because my brother-in-law, Bill, he lives right next door to the house that we bought, and he's been coming over helping us out, and I'm so appreciative. And unfortunately for Bill, my wife went and took a picture of him, so he's going to up on the slide today. I'm sorry, Bill. Um, I won't leave you up there. I'll take you back up. Uh, I'll put you up there again in a second. I've found that there's a ton of things about fixing the house and make it and doing it the right way that I didn't know. Okay? I, I'll tell you one. This is embarrassing because some of you are going to go, duh. Um, uh, before you paint a wall, did you know you're supposed to wipe it off first? Some of you are shaking your head. I did not know that. I've been painting dirty walls my whole life. I had no idea. And now I know why my walls are bumpy and have all these little bumps on because I didn't wipe it off first. My brother-in-law, he's, hey, you got a white. Then he's, he, he's coming in. Now, I would have been halfway done painting the house, but he's coming. He said, hey, this is the right way to do it. And I, I'm not giving him a hard time at all because I, actually, I want you to know how much I appreciate because I know that when I'm done, my walls are going to look the way they're supposed to look. It reminded me so much of this last week, just thinking about this and thinking about what Paul is doing as he goes back around these churches. What, that's, that's kind of what he's doing. And these people... Clearly, and in fact, I, I was talking with my brother-in-law yesterday, uh, and, and I said, you know, we were talking about this, and he, he mentioned, uh, uh, you know, because he's a police officer now, so he's done construction now, he's a police officer, and he's talking about things that, hey, they're, they're, this is a new thing for him, and there's aspects where he's like, man, I'm not, you know, there, there's, everybody has different strengths. And I got to thinking how, it, just in talking, I thought, you know, it's so important, and you see the flip side to this, because it's so important, because you can have someone that can come in as an expert, but are they going to be receptive to what you bring to the table? Right? Throw in one little other thing there. Uh, some of you know that my new job this year at school, I'm an instructional coach. 
right? And as an instructional coach, I'm supposed to help other teachers. And I will tell you right now, many of our teachers want the help, love the help. I've got one in particular that he will, he will email me or call me and say, hey, could you come to this particular class and do an observation to give me some pointers? Like, absolutely. Do you think that all of the teachers are like that? <laughs> you guys are smiling. You've met some teachers before, I guess. Uh, there, there's a few teachers that the, the contempt at my presence, the thought that I might give them advice just burns them up. Is that what you see with this church in Troas? Were they resentful of Paul's further instruction? What do you think? Are they resentful of it? Now, come on. Does it say that they weren't resentful? No. What, what gives you the clue that they were not resentful of this further instruction? Come on, anybody. <laughs> yeah. And even after a kid died and was brought back to life, they didn't call it quits. They're like, we got some more questions now, which I would too after he was brought back to life. I got some more questions. How'd you do that, number one? And that's, but you don't see them being resentful of this further instruction. I'll throw Bill up on the screen again one more time. Uh, my, my favorite thing about what he's doing and how he's helping us is not just that he's saying, this is how you do it, but there's aspects where he says, this is how you do it. That's huge, isn't it? Have you ever had somebody try to explain something to you over the phone, especially the people that don't like computer stuff? Click what? Where? What's right click, left click, wrong click? What are you talking about? Step by step. But how much better is it when somebody is able to be there and say, this is how you do it, and this is how it looks. I think that Paul probably exemplified that. Encouragement is an important thing, and Paul encouraged these people. Let me give you, I'm going to go to another passage here. Hebrews chapter 3 says this, uh, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. The writer of Hebrews says, but exhort one another. What? Do you think that that word exhort might be the same word? What do you think? It is. Same word. Same Greek word as encouragement. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let's be honest for a moment. Without that ongoing encouragement to live according to God's way, wouldn't you agree that the first part of this particular verse is true? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Anybody in here notice that you might have a tendency? Uh, in fact, maybe you've noticed it this way. Have you ever seen this happen in your life? You come to church on Sunday, and you, you leave like, I can do this. I can be a good Christian. I think I can do this. And then you're like that little train that could. You know, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And, and does life help that continue through the week? <laughs> or does life start working against that? Life starts beating you up, doesn't it? And, you get, and, and then some of you, I, I love it because you, I, I love this aspect of people that come back into church the next week. I love when I can tell that you've had one of those weeks and you're not here for any measure of entertainment. You're here for one purpose. I got another week to survive. 
And what you may not have called it, but what you need is the encouragement. And the encouragement that isn't just great job, but it might be keep at it. It might be this is how it's done. It might be this is what you could do better. It might be you've been painting dirty walls your whole life, you dummy. He didn't say that, by the way. He might have thought it, I don't know. But that's what that encouragement, this is the way it's done. Take it to this next step. This is where you can go. So I want to give you a couple of things, a couple of ways from this passage, clues about some encouragement that I want to just focus in on. The first one is this. Oh, sorry. First one is this. Giving and the encouragement to give. This one is not mentioned uh, explicitly in this passage, but there's an underlying understanding if you know anything about what Paul is doing. His Many of his visits to these other churches, his purpose is to encourage them to give. I want to read one particular passage. I told you 2 Corinthians was written during this time. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 5, he says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an, as an exaction. So remember earlier when I said he sent some guys ahead and they went on to Corinth without him, then he caught up? He's talking about that right there. So he says, hey, you know, go on ahead. But notice well, one of the reasons is that he said to go on ahead, get them ready with their gift. You guys get ready. These guys came and they said, Paul's coming, basically, and they said, get ready to give. Get ready to give. He continues on in verse 7 and he says this, each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I mean, Paul makes very clear, this is not, I'm not coming here getting a Christian tax from you. But you may have heard this before, for God loves a cheerful giver. I got done writing the sermon, I thought to myself, my, my, my points today, the first one is, is give. If you don't give, you really should. You really should. I want to encourage you to do so. I encourage people when I talk, and, I, and I'm just being honest with you. So here, here I am. I'm, you know, you know, this is how the, you know, this ought to be done. If you, I, I believe you ought to try to give 10% of your, your income. Now, you're going to get some different people who give different. I, I'm not coming up to you as a, hey, that's a compulsion. I'm saying, that's a great place to start. But I don't think it should end there. If you can give more, try to give more. I've known people who have said, you know what, I don't know if I can give more, but I'm going to try. And somehow they did it, and then they came back later, like, I don't know. I, I've, more than one person in this room has, given, has shared with me stories like that. And this isn't just limited to just what you might do in the, the tithes and offering, but this is also talking about what you might give to others, above and beyond. I've seen that happen at this church as well. Somebody in need, somebody gives some gift just for that purpose. That's an amazing thing. Give, and the encouragement to give. Let me give you my second one here. Attending and being in attendance. Once again, I got done with the sermon. I thought my, my first two points are give and go to church. I mean, how simple can you get? Paul's traveled back through all these churches. While in Corinth, when he's writing the book of Romans, he writes this. He says, for I long to see you. Now he's writing from Corinth to the church in Rome. He says, for I long to see you 
that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Another important aspect of encouragement is being there. Being there. You know, as often as you can. Paul, even though he's writing to encourage these Romans, he still says, I want to be there so that we can be mutually encouraged at my arrival. I want to take this a step further. And I'm going to put it this way. Attending and being in attendance weekly. Just like I talked about, you know, some of you have those weeks and you start off, right? Some of you, things have happened and you get to, that's Eutychus, he's getting sleepy. Um, so, uh, he, so we get to the end, right? Uh, end of the week and what's going on? You're needing that refreshment. You ever had something come up where you can't make it back? And I know that happens. In fact, I know when I put this up here, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous putting things like this up here because I know some of you, you got jobs that interfere. You can't. You don't know how to work it, the schedule out. And we'll, I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But have you had that happen? You get to that point and you can't make it back? Or maybe you just don't make it back. And you go another week? Some interesting things happen in that second week. One, you start to get more desperate realizing how much you really wish you would have gone to church. Or two, sometimes you start going, it's not that big a deal. And you may not realize what's going on, but it's like that passage in Hebrews says, we all have this evil, unbelieving heart. And you may find that after that second week, you start actually thinking to yourself, I don't really need... God, like all the time, right? I don't really need that. And you probably wouldn't say that out loud at that the second week. But let's be honest, many of us, we get down the road and the further we get away, sometimes we start to think in our, in our heads, I don't really even need it. I mean, I'll be okay another week without it. This is why I think it says in Hebrews again, and many of you have heard this one, it says, let us consider how to stir one another up or stir up one another to love and good works. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What we're doing today, don't neglect this. Don't neglect this. Now, like I said, I want to talk about you know, some issues that have risen. Because we, I think, similar to that first century church, we've got some new issues that have arisen when it comes to going to church. I mean, it's not like it was in the 1950s where everybody was off on Sunday. Unless you work at Chick-fil-A, that's not always true, right? Or Hobby Lobby, right? It's not always true. Well, what do we do with that? How do we cope with that? It's been a challenge for this church. I think especially with the, many of our nurses, many of our nurses, we, we have these rotating weekly schedules they can't get out of. What do you do? How do we handle that as a church? I don't think that we should just ignore it. Because I know that when you're away for too long, I know what starts to happen and what can happen. I know that we need this ongoing encouragement even more so as the day draws near, like it says in this verse. So what do we do? Let me ask you a question. Okay, I don't have in my notes 
an expected answer, okay? What are some reasons, good or bad, that people might not be able to be at church? Well, even maybe even today, people that are not here today. What were some reasons? I'll give you a good reason. Um, Amber texted us this morning, and I, I appreciated the fact that she texted and said, I'm not, I can't make it. I, I loved that. I love it when people do that. Like, I, I want to be there. I can't make it. Um, her, um, she has a pellet stove that heats her house. Went out two days ago. The kids have been huddled up on the couch for two days, and she finally figured out what was wrong, and she had to get the part. She got off work this morning, had to go run, get the part, and try to get the heat going back. For I don't know about you. That's a pretty good reason. What else? What are some other reasons why somebody might not go to church regularly? Good or bad? Lazy? Well, we put that one in the good category or the bad category. <laughs> Nobody answered that, I think. Uh, I think we know. What's that? Illness. I think especially, we, I know that we have some um, people that the, the illnesses have progressed to agree where they can't get out of the house. I mean, obviously, we're not sitting here going, why aren't you at church? right? What else? Family? And that, that could go a lot of different ways, right? Maybe there's family distance you need to meet, or maybe there's family needs that need to be met. What were you going to say? Oh, overextending yourself on Saturday. Yeah, a lot of times that, that's what happens, right? You, you stay up too late. Man, these people at Troas, if they heard you say that, they'd be like, Seriously? We worked all day, and then we stayed up all night. I don't think they'd say it that way. Except Eutychus, he'd be like, I tried to stay up. Yes? Tired? Tired? Hey, uh, okay, let's talk about that one for a second. Uh, Anybody in here on Sunday morning that's not tired? (laughs) You're not? (laughs) Oh, okay, well, there you go. I don't know about you, but I, every Sunday morning I get up, I'm like, I'm so tired. I, I'm not, okay, I probably shouldn't admit this. Um, there's been more than one Sunday in my life, nine years being here. There's been more than one Sunday. The only reason why I forced myself up is because I had to preach that day, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. There's been some Sundays I'm like, I'm so tired. If I, you know, if I wasn't the pastor, you know, then you start having those conversations in your head. You're the pastor. You have to go to church. That's right, I do. I shouldn't have admitted that, should I? Now you guys go, really? I thought you were more spiritual than that, Matt. No. What else? I, I, I'm, I'm, this is interesting to me. What, what else? Other reasons why people may or may not go to church? Yeah. Oh, that one could unavoidable sometimes, right? Go up, ready to go to church. You could be in the best mood ever or horrible, and you could still, right? Call me. I'll come get you. Um, a survey, now I don't want to cut anybody off. I, I, I may ask that question again. There was a survey, asked about 5,000 people, reasons why they don't go to church, right? Now, the survey was not limited to Christians so this was across the board, 5,000 Americans. And they, when, you, when you do a good survey, as a mathematician, I feel the need to tell you this, when you do a good survey, you try to get a broad spectrum of people, okay? So uh, they, 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 gave, they gave this survey, and uh, what, do, what do you think? Oh, I didn't have that up there. What do you think? Uh, I felt like doing a, a family feud thing. Survey says, number one reason, 28%. Not really, oh, okay. All right, I don't believe it. 
haven't bought into it. Okay? What do you think the second reason? Anybody have a, a, a second reason? What, what do you think? Yeah. Being afraid? That's interesting. That, that might be on the list somewhere. Anybody else got, what do you think may have shown up on this list? Yeah. God doesn't care if I go to church or not. There may be, I think there might be a version of that up here. Oh, yeah. That, I definitely know there's one that's something like that up there. Here, let me give you the second one. 23% said, I haven't found a church or other house of worship that I like. I'm not, I'm not criticizing. There could be versions of that. Maybe people answered it, and there's different reasons what they meant by like. Okay, so I'm not judging that one. Um, I thought this next one was funny. 18%. I don't like the sermons. Ouch. Um, 14% said, I don't feel welcome. I hope that's never true here. I hope that's never true. Um, this is the one I think uh, reflects so clearly many of our people. I don't have the time. And once again, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm, I know. Oh, We've got a weird system we're living in. Unlike even future generations. I mean, we, we live in a world now where you can work second shifts and third shifts. I mean, there was, there was times in history where you couldn't really do that. We've got some tough situations when it comes to being at church and being faithful. Um, 9%, I'm in poor health or find it difficult to get around. So there's, there's obviously other reasons that fall into this. But what's interesting is if you ask churchgoers, okay, so if, say if you ask churchgoers why, why they think people in their community don't join them uh, at church, many are likely to say it's because most people aren't believers, right? That 28%. Yet if you ask church attenders how many people in America claim to be Christian, um, and if you did, it's like it's up in the 80s, 75, 80% of the people in America still claim to be Christian. So there's clearly a disconnect somewhere when it comes to this going to church thing. Something I've noticed just in my own time, you guys ever, uh, here's another thing, 20 years ago, I couldn't have brought this up. Anybody ever play cards? Anybody play euchre? Yeah, it's okay, you can admit it, it's not a sin to play cards. Okay, uh, you play euchre, and in euchre you have a trump card. I know there's other games like this, you have this trump card, right? And, and, and so this, you, you can play the highest card in the deck, but if you play the trump card, the trump card beats it, right? For, for many people, I would have said there was a time in life where, where the, the trump card would have been church. But I gotta be honest, there's a ton of other things anymore that, that trump that. Now, all these other situations set aside. What about the ones where there's things that aren't necessary to live that trump church, right? I'm gonna pick on one right now. Um, youth football on Sundays. Somebody may get mad. I don't know. I'm sorry in advance. Uh, I don't think youth football should trump church. And, and I, I, I feel like if, if you're telling your kids that this is more important, I think that's saying something too. I don't think that's a, I, I don't think that's a, a point you want to make to your kids that football is more important than church. Right? I feel such a desire to take some of these things back because I have a great compassion. I feel like I have a great compassion for those that have difficult life situations. I think especially with jobs. 
I mean, jobs in Danville can be hard to find, and sometimes you finally find one, and it's working on Sunday. You're like, I don't know what to do. You know, if I don't take this job, I mean, I understand. And so I feel hesitant even saying these things. But I also feel like I've gone too far in that direction with the compassion towards it, and we've lost some of that desire uh, of, for the people that say, I, wanna, I'm, I know I need to be around the body of Christ as much as I possibly can. I want to quote Ricky Jones here. Ricky Jones is a pastor, and this, I found this on the Gospel Coalition website. He's a pastor in Oklahoma. He says, I want you to understand, he's talking about being part of a local church, right? Being a real part of it, did not go. There we go. I want you to understand that being a part of the universal church, now what, I, what that means for those of you that aren't very churched in your, your language, the Bible talks about if you are a believer, you are part of the body of Christ, the church, big, okay? If you're a believer. But you have this universal church, the church, the body of Christ, but you also have like what we have right here, a local group of believers, I want you to understand that being a part of the universal church without submitting to a local church, this guy says is not possible, biblical, or healthy. And I would agree with that. He says, first, it's simply not possible. To imply you can be part of the greater community, the big church, without first being part of the smaller is not logical. First of all, he says, you cannot be part of the Rotary International without also being part of the local chapter. It's true. You might be part of the universal human family without first being part of a small immediate family. True. Second, he says it's not biblical. Every letter in the New Testament assumes Christians are members of local churches. That's true. It's not explicitly stated sometimes because it's an underlying assumption that if you're a Christian, you're part of a local group of believers. Every letter in the New Testament assumes Christians are members of local churches. The letters themselves are addressed to local churches. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians. They teach us how to get along with other members, how to encourage the weak within the church, how to conduct ourselves at church, what to do with unrepentant sinners in the church. They command us to submit to our elders and encourage us to go to our elders and pray. All these things are impossible if you aren't a member of a local church. And he's got some references there, and I could pull that up for you later. He ends by saying this, asking where the Bible commands you to be a church member is like asking where the USGA rule book for golf insists that you be a human. That was a fun way of putting it. It's assumed. The whole book, the Bible, is addressed to the church. Like I mentioned earlier when I was talking with Bill, um, the idea, the understanding of a reverent, humble learning is so important. You're here today. I hope that what you heard was number one, um, I'll be a giving believer, but number two, this other side, I need to be a part of this church. I clearly emphasized attendance, but I think as well, just being a part of what's going on here is essential to your own Christianity. I want you to know that we've got 
Sunday morning. We're here. We're starting Sunday school up again next week. Okay. We have a Wednesday night, second look, where we take a second look. In fact, this Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night, I've got something specific that I didn't talk about in this passage that's related to this passage that I'm going to bring up Wednesday night, I think is important. We'll take a second look at that. I'm also going to tell you right now, and this is being recorded. Okay, I'll tell you right now. I, I, I hope to get this out to the rest of our people. If you get to the place where you're like, I have to work every Sunday, but you go, I'm off work every Saturday night. I'm going to tell you right now, if you call me up and you say, Matt, would you consider just Saturday night, even if it's just telling me what you're going to preach about the next day? I would, I would come here for that, even if it's just two or three of you. You said, I, I, I've tried different times in my life to, to figure out like, how to orchestrate, how to have services for this church to try to accommodate everybody. I can't do it. I can't figure it out. But I will say, if I had people that were saying, the only reason why I'm not here on Sunday morning is because I can't be. But Matt, would you come? I would do that for you. I would do that for you. I won't make charity go. <laughs> I'm just joking. But I'll be here. I keep thinking, especially I've mentioned before, I think about our nurses and the, the tough schedules that they get. And I've often thought, man, I, if, if, there was, if I could figure out their schedules, which I can't, uh, where I could be a time and set a time, and I'd call it nurse church or something like that, you know, where we could get you know the nurses that can't make it on Sunday morning would get together and just, if nothing else, pray. And I'll tell you what I'm planning on preaching on. It wouldn't be a totally formulated sermon. I, I would do that. I think it's important. If you had a different night of the week, besides Wednesday night, we're like, I can't make it for Sunday, and I can't do Wednesday night, but I'm off every Thursday at this time. If I can, now I, I have a full-time job. John's got a full-time job. But man, if I, I, I don't think I'm speaking just for me, but I, I think John would be willing as well. We'd figure something out. Because I'm going to tell you, the most encouraging thing to me is willing participants. I, I dread people who are reluctant to participate in the things of God. It defeats me. But when I have somebody that just, man, they could be doing it all wrong. <laughs> but man, they just want to do what God wants and I'm willing to give it a shot. That could pump me up for weeks on end. That's what I find the most encouraging. And so if you're sitting here going, man, I can't make it, but man, if you could meet at this time or this time, we, I'd be more than willing to find a way to work that out because it's that important that you're part of a group of believers. I'm gonna close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I know I'm ending suddenly this sermon, but God, I also know that I, I, I believe, I hope that I've said the things that you wanted me to say today. God, I just want to ask now that you'd be with those in this room that, that are here. Lord, if there is any measure of conviction because of their lack of attendance, God, I pray that you'd lay that on them. Lord, I know there are some in here that have not been able to, and it's not their fault, God, and I get that. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them to, to find ways that they could still participate, not to just give up. God, I pray that you'd help us as a church, Lord, to find ways to help those who have a difficult time being here. Lord, I, I ask specifically, that God, as, as we leave this building, as we encounter our friends our relatives, those that claim to be Christian that are missing church for those 
bad reasons. God, I pray that you give us the courage to confront, exhort, um, encourage them, or not in a way that's to defeat them, but in a way to, to promote um, that involvement. God, I pray at the end of the day that your word would stand true. Lord, even if all of us end up being false, God, I pray that your word would be true. I ask now, Lord, in Jesus' name, that your spirit would be poured out on us this week. Amen.